Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. So my name is Sarah. I live in Colchester, Connecticut. I am 27 years old. Um, I live there with my family and my large Bernice Mountain Dog, Luna. Uh, I've been coming to Hope Church now for almost three years, and I love it. Um, I currently work as a registered behavior technician, so I work in a clinic working one-on-one with kids with autism, and it is, it is a huge passion of mine, and, and, I, and I love it so much. So I grew up um, Catholic. Roman Catholic, so going to church every Sunday, sitting in the front row. Um, I actually was an altar server for some time. And then kind of toward my teen years in college, I sort of found myself drifting away from, from God a little bit and getting distracted with you know, day-to-day things and college and, and life. Um, but it really wasn't until my younger brother had some health issues and he's fine now that I really started to kind of reconnect with God and I had a friend who took me to a Christian church in Middletown and you know the second I walked in there there was a band it was so lively everybody was so warm and comforting um, and I kind of just fell in love with it and was able to just really reconnect to God and and find my faith again but as an adult which I think is so important because it was something that I got to choose and the way that I wanted to worship and the way that I wanted to to have my faith was 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 good. About two years ago in December I started kind of feeling flu-like symptoms, um, chills at night, fevers, and of course this was around the time that COVID was coming out so I was constantly getting tested for COVID um, in and out of doctor's offices and they just kept telling me you know this is just a virus it's just some silly virus maybe it's a different strain of COVID but you're going to be fine Um, and then a month later the symptoms still were not going away so I actually just went into a walk-in clinic um, in downtown Colchester and just kind of filled her in on everything that's been happening and so she decided to do some blood work and the next day she called me and pretty much informed me that I needed to stop working um, because I was still at the time going to work just taking a lot of sick days and she said I had to stop working and I had to see a hematologist immediately because my white blood cell count was very very low Um, so it would be dangerous to be around children or other people if I was to get sick So my dad called a hematologist up at Bacchus Hospital and they were able to get me in and they continued to do blood work and even when we went to the hematologist, they were still saying in the initial visit that it's got to be some sort of virus. Um, They had different doctors come in, different specialists to try to figure it out. So she did blood work and she goes, okay, I'll just call you back in a few days and I'll let you know, you know, it also could be an autoimmune disease, but don't worry. So a few days go by 
and I remember it so vividly because I was actually relaxing on the couch. Um, my boyfriend wasn't here, my parents were out, and I got a phone call from the hematologist. And I could just tell in the tone of her voice that something was off. And she told me on the phone that I had to pack my bags. I would be staying overnight at Bacchus. So, you know, obviously how anyone would feel, my heart just stopped because I, I, I can't even imagine, what, like, why do I need to stay at a hospital? I've never stayed overnight at a hospital before. Um, so, you know, I start crying on the phone. She's trying to calm me down and I'm asking her, okay, what is it? What'd you find? What'd you find? And, you know, she's like, I really don't want to tell you this news over the phone. It should be something that, you know, your family should come in. And obviously when I heard those words that I'm even more anxious and, you know, this has got to be something big. So that's when she told me that they had found what appeared to be cancer. This is definitely when scarcity came in because to be real, my first word was, I'm gonna die. That is just what went through my head and it was, why God did you let this happen to me? Because I know so many people have those moments in their life where it, it feels like it's not your life. You feel like you're in a movie and this shouldn't have happened to you. And that was, you know, that exact moment. And I remember I stepped outside and I was so angry with God. And I, you know, I, I, always thought I had a strong faith. I still do. But in that moment, it's a, why God did you let this happen to me? And I'm going to die. It was, and, and that's full transparency. Um, and I struggled. I called my mom and everybody came home and it was, it was very difficult um, to kind of wrap our heads around that. And my parents have a strong faith, but I think for them too, it was a, how can this happen to us kind of situation. So um, from there, that very same day, we all went back to Bacchus Hospital and she sat us down and she informed us that it was not only cancer, but a very rare form of cancer. That's called BPDCN. I do not know how to <laughs> say it. We've always just called it that. And to be honest, to this day, I've never Googled it because I don't want to Google statistics or, you know, I hear what I need to hear from the doctors and, and that's it. But so, they told us it was BPDCN, and she said that Bacchus and Smilo have had no patients with BPDCN, so they really didn't have much experience. So that was definitely another blow to our family because, you know, we're all, everyone's in here, everyone's crying, everyone's a mess. And then to hear a doctor say, well, we don't have experience with this, so we're gonna try to find someone who does. So you know, definitely in that moment too, it was, you know, another why God or why, why is this added on? I already have to deal with this and now why do you have to add this additional layer? Um, so again, going back to that whole scarcity thing, I think kind of after that moment is where things shifted. You know, things didn't get better, but they shifted because we left the doctor's office and they were gonna do their own research, um, but Yale was prepared that if we couldn't find another place that they had a trial drug that they were gonna run. But my dad went online and he's great. He's into pharmaceuticals. He went online, he Googled a whole bunch on BPDCN and found this amazing doctor in Dana-Farber up in Boston. 
and um, you know he didn't call he just shot him an email and it was a very brief email just pretty much a plea for help you know whatever you can do to help my daughter we don't know where to go next and that I really feel was you know a gift from God because that doctor emailed us back that day and within days we were up at his office and um, it was a weird moment because I think I actually felt a huge, you know, wave of anxiety kind of go away because I felt as if, okay, this is God stepping in now. He's saying, you know, that whole scarcity mindset of why did you do this to me? He didn't do this to me, but he's not leaving my side. He's guiding me through. Um, so once we got in contact with the doctor in Dana-Farber, which we ended up seeing within days, he had a plan, he had it all written out on paper. This is what's gonna happen to you. This is the different medications we're gonna give you. Um, obviously I knew going into it that chemotherapy was going to be something that they would have to use and, and was definitely a huge fear of mine, but the way that the doctors were and my, my family and my boyfriend and all my friends were so supportive that I knew that you know I was gonna get through this. Um, so the steps that would um, kind of go forward with this was I would have to do two months of a trial drug that was out um, for specifically for BPDCN. And that was a lot less harmful than chemo, which was great. Um, and I was able to be with my parents, which was also great because during this time it was COVID, so nobody was allowed in the hospital. So um, during this time, they let me do outpatient. Then after I did two trials of that, we had a meeting with uh, the main doctor. And that was tough because he informed us that the trial drug had not worked like he wanted. And that was definitely another, another why God moment because it seemed as if we had our fix. We had our easy, easy ending, let's just do this drug and then we move on and, and all is great. Uh, so that was hard and that's when he told us that they would have to do a much more intense form of chemotherapy. Um, so I would lose my hair, a lot more side effects and this eventually would take me into transplant. Um, so transplant is where somebody else don donates their stem cells to you and it, it's life changing. So definitely hearing that part was very tricky for me. Um, one, because I didn't want to go through chemotherapy and all you see is the, the movies and the TV shows and people getting violently ill and losing their hair. Um, and then having to go through transplant and having, you know, the whole point of, of the intense chemotherapy is to bring your body down to a zero. So, um, Thinking back on it now, it's like bringing you close to death. They want you at your lowest. Um, and then they, then that's where they gave you the transplant, which is just through an IV, which is crazy. Um, and it just revamps your body and, and saves your body. So the chemo was tough. That was a couple months. Um, some were inpatient and some were outpatient. And the inpatient ones were definitely difficult, especially with COVID, so I couldn't have any family um, up there, and that was very hard, um, very, very hard. I had great nurses, great doctors, um, but I think 
during those moments that I was alone, and it might sound crazy, but I felt I didn't feel alone at all. I think that being able to go through it on my own without other people or distractions, I was able to become closer to God and really lean on Him um, during this whole process. I mean, I, I brought my Bible, I was um, praying every morning and listening to worship music was key. I always had that on repeat. Um, the nurses sometimes would come in and like dance with me or they would they would pray and it was it was very nice and um, helped me get through some really, really dark times. Um, and it was it was definitely an internal battle to to feel so bad and understand that something good will come out of it. Um, and during this time, I, I did not have the mindset that, that having cancer was gonna be something good that was coming to my life. I still was very woe is me and why is this happening to me? And, and you know, at the time being 25 years old and thought I was healthy, then why do I have to go, to go through this? Um, but I think through the experience of being by myself humbled me and gave me time to, to appreciate life, and it sounds cliche, but you know, really appreciate what I have. And I realized I took a lot for granted, my health and, and just being around family and stuff. So, so that, was, that was that. I definitely think there was a lot of those moments that um, reminded me that, that God was there and that I wasn't alone. And um, we, when, they, when they do the transplant, um, the hospitals make it a big deal because for some people who have had a transplant, it's, they call it your birthday because it's your, your new life. Um, and they had a pastor that was in the church and he was nice and he would always come in every couple of days and sit and talk with me. So I had asked you know, the pastor to come in so he could bless the transplant process and then my parents had a friend who's a priest so we had him zoomed in and my dad was in the elevator and he starts talking to this guy and finds out that he's a pastor too and so you know they're talking and talking and my dad's filling him in on what's happening he goes do you mind if I just come and be with your daughter he's like I don't I don't need to touch her I just want to stand and like put hands and just pray and I and so we had I think between all that we had two pastors and a priest and nurses and doctors and at the, like it was so powerful of an experience and um, I mean not and not to neglect the person that donated their stem cells to me I sadly have not met them and that's somebody's journey that it's it's an option if they want to meet who they donated to but for me it's just like I'm forever indebted to this person who who saved my life and um, I wish people could realize that donating stem cells is such a small thing to do, but it, it saved my life. If that person hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have been here today. I think having people who are strong in their faith, like my parents and my friends and, and people I've met at Hope Church have helped increase my faith a lot because I, you know, in the beginning it definitely, I definitely doubted and questioned God. And then I think just through prayer and through meeting other people's stories 
That's why even just being able to share mine is, is so important because hearing from other people and their journeys and what they've been through inspires me to continue to keep going and kind of get out of my head with focusing on myself or woe is me and, and trying to find ways that I can, can apply what I've learned. And um, you know, it, it's definitely given me more of a drive to figure out what I want to do in life. And um, getting back to working with my kiddos has been huge for me too. And I see, I see what they struggle with every single day. And you know, for me, a huge thing is that I kept remembering that this is just a chapter in my in my book and it's not, you know, this doesn't define my life. It's just gonna be a part of it. Um, and it's definitely made me a stronger, a stronger person and and to lean more on God. There definitely was a lot of beauties and a lot of truly remarkable people that I've met along the journey and uh, Dana Farber has been incredible in letting me share my story and, and through that and through my silly TikToks that I do, I've met some really, really amazing people and just seeing how they're so happy and they are able to turn something so devastating around just inspires you and makes you look at your own story and say, hey, you know, there's there's some good that can come out of this. The, the uncertainty is, is definitely the hardest part and I think for me and for a lot of people, I thought, okay, get the transplant, you finish your chemotherapy, you're cancer-free, you can move on with your life. But I think when you're going through cancer, any sort of challenge in your life, your your body is in fight mode. So you just get through it. And even, even the word warrior, I've used it before, but I, I've kind of learned to not like it so much because I think that if anybody was in my shoes or anybody's shoes, they would fight and they would get through it. Um, but definitely after transplant probably proved to be the hardest. I had to totally relearn how to walk, how to run again. Um, you know, it affects your joints, your muscles, your organs, your, your eyes. I was having so much trouble seeing. I was um, having trouble moving my joints, having trouble eating, and humbling to almost have to become a child again and have your parents take care of you. And, I'm fortunate that I have amazing parents and, and an amazing boyfriend and friends who really stepped up and helped me get through it. But it's, I almost think that the recovery was worse because, you know, you're, you're done, but things are still happening. And, and for doctors, it's okay, she's great, let's get her going. But for me, it's my whole life has been turned upside down and, you know, I can't go to work, I can't work out, I can't hike, I can't hang out with my friends. Um, so that was very difficult and a slow process and even going through you know chemotherapy before and you lose your hair and and for a lot of people that's very sensitive and not even for me it wasn't a appearance thing it was more so of a people look at me and they know that i'm sick thing so that was very difficult for a while and especially being a female you know always having to wear a beanie and then you know, I'm not good at makeup, so trying to figure out how to draw on eyebrows or whatever you have to do to make yourself not look sick. Um, and then, you know, I had a few months after transplant that things seemed great. I could get back to normal. I was able to go back to work um, part-time. And then about, gosh, six months ago, I developed a small bump. I had an original tumor spot on my hip. Um, but this was a small bump that had developed and I 
you know, emailed my doctors because we have great communication. I just said, hey, something popped up. I don't have any other symptoms. And at first they're thinking, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll monitor it and we'll check your blood work. And the blood work was fine, but the bump kept getting a little bit bigger and then started to turn like a purplish color. So they had me go back up to Dana-Farber. They did a biopsy and, you know, they said, okay, we'll let you know in a few weeks. And then it wasn't a few weeks. It was probably two or three days I got a phone call and I, it was my original doctor. So I knew that something was going on and he said that they had found cancer cells in that lump. Um, and that was just a flashback of the first moment and very ugly, very me throwing my phone across the room screaming and my parents running in and they don't know, you know, they're, they're crying and you know, you, you go through this battle and then you're like, then another, why God? Okay, so I went through all of this and now it came back. Um, and so that was, that was very, very hard, but luckily it did not spread to my blood. So they were able to just do a couple rounds of radiation. Um, and now they just monitor, but I, with this type of, um, cancer, it's, it's not, being cancer free, it's kind of just being in remission and being watched, which has definitely been a struggle too because you feel like you're, that story can't end. But I think now it's just shifting my mindset to just, okay, well, it's gonna be a part of it, but it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be your whole, your whole chapter and um, just trusting that no matter what pops up or what next step is that that God is there and I'm not alone through it. I think a lot through this journey has opened my eyes to pray more with people. I've definitely been someone that prays in private and not into walking around and putting hands on people and having people pray over me. But through this journey, a lot of people have done that and complete strangers have come up to me and asked if they could pray for me and that it just means the world and Cheryl just came up to me one day at church and just said, you know, that she felt like God had put something on her heart to come and talk to me and just, I think it's definitely taught me to be braver in that aspect and it's okay to go up to people and and ask them if they're okay and, and pray for them because people aren't gonna always be open to coming forward with how they're feeling, so. I never would have thought that I would be the, the person on the other side telling people, you know, you're gonna get through this or I went through all of this. And I think a huge thing for me is just taking it day by day to not try to think about the what ifs or the, the future, which is very difficult, but just taking it day by day and reminding yourself that you got this and reminding myself that God didn't do this to me, but he's he's never gonna leave my side during this whole thing. And I think it's definitely given me more compassion for for others. And you know, you don't need to be going through cancer or something big and traumatic to to have those why God moments. And I think that we all just need to be connected that way and and help each other no matter how big or small we think a problem is because Something so small for somebody could encompass their whole world.
So if next week is Bring Your Flannel Sunday, today should have been Bring Your Tissue Sunday. Um, Listen, Sarah already preached today, so I am just up here to kind of put a bow on things and wrap up our series. And I just want to say thank you to Sarah. I don't know where you are, but I'm truly grateful for you sharing your story. If we can just take a moment and thank her. And I know, I, I mean, I interviewed you, Sarah, but even listening today, I still was getting emotional. So um, I think what I love about Sarah and from the moment that I first met her is she just has, um, she's one of the most positive people you will ever meet. Um, and yet she's very real and raw and honest. And, and you heard that in her story. And I think that's part of why, as we're wrapping up our series on abundance, um, that I really wanted to use Sarah's story because, um, you know, sometimes I think we hear these sort of um, before and after stories of someone who had, you know, they went through this difficult thing and then it was magically all better, right? And Sarah alludes to kind of a couple times in her story where she wished she just had the, the simple, easy answer, the kind of simple fix. And, um, but what I, what I hear in Sarah's story is that um, it wasn't all perfect and it isn't, right? She still lives with this layer of uncertainty. Um, and yet, and yet within her story, you saw all these moments where she chose, even, even in that initial moment of human just emotion and feeling of scarcity, she was able to say, okay, God, and, and to do, you know, what Tom showed, we stand and just hold our hands open and say, God, what are you gonna do with this story? And all these little moments of abundance that, that really were throughout her story, um, whether it was, two pastors and a priest in the, in the hospital room with her, or um, again, her opportunity to share her story with other people and encourage people. And I think what I love about Sarah is that she had those fears, she had those frustrations, but she didn't let them write the rest of her story. And she believed that God, she still believes that God somehow can write a beautiful story. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you could relate a little bit. Maybe you feel like you have a story that doesn't necessarily make sense. You know, Sarah mentioned that sometimes we feel like we're a character in a movie and we're like, what, this is, how is this my life? How is this happening? Why am I here again? Um, and I think her story is a challenge to me personally to just hold my hands open and say, okay, God, um, what's next? What are, what are you gonna do? What are, the, what are the things that you may do through this that I may not be able to see? And I love that if you look at, if you look at the, um, the Bible, there's so many times where God takes stories that just don't make sense and he takes people that just don't make sense to even be a hero in a story and he, he turns their life into something beautiful. Um, and in fact, did you know that sometimes God actually renames people in the middle of their story? Maybe you find this, um, I think it's interesting, the story of Abram and Sarai, and God, when, when God turns Abraham into, into a father of many nations, he says, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham, which I believe is father of many. Um, and again, Sarai's name is changed to Sarah, which I don't know if you knew, but I think princess, noblewoman, is what your name means, so that's... Um, and it's significant because it kind of marks what God is doing. Um, in the New Testament, you see this too. God calls his disciple Simon. He says, I'm going to call you Peter or Cephas, and that means rock. And what God does sometimes when he names someone in the middle of their story, I think it's interesting that a lot of times he renames them before the thing has happened, before we get to see you know, a lot of times you, someone gets a nickname because it's like, oh, well, you, we're going to call you this because you tripped once and now forevermore you're going to be called um, Shoelace Boy. I don't know. That was 
not my finest moment on the spot, but, um, but you know what I mean? We get, we get a nickname because of something we've done, or you have this person who does something heroic, and then they get this name that's a strong, heroic name. And I think it's interesting that God calls Abram, father of many, father of, of his nations, before he, before he is. And he calls Peter rock when Peter is still, to be honest, scared and, uh, and before, you know, Peter's the one that ends up abandoning God and, and Jesus and saying he's going to de- denies his name, denies he knows God, and yet God knows, God sees, and he calls him this new name. And I think there's something really powerful about that. Um, in fact, there's a verse that tells us, um, um, I believe it's in Revelation, but it talks about how God will give us, give us a new name. And I don't know why, but for some reason there was a time in my life where that really was significant to me, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what God would name me, like if I got a name. And I was praying, and I was reading, and one day I felt like God gave me this name, and it's a good name, wait for it, Myrtle. Myrtle, Myrtle, the name which uh, I think it was like the most popular. It hit its peak in like 1895, and there's a reason for that. It's, uh, it's no longer really used very much. I think um, out of a million babies that are born, I read today that maybe 11 children are called Myrtle, and God bless those children. Um, but you know what, actually? Um, so yeah, when, when I first felt like God was saying Myrtle, I was like, you could do better than that. Come on, can you give me like, I could be Deborah, you could give me something whimsical, maybe like iconic, like share even, I'll just take, um, nope, I got Myrtle. Um, but I ended up reading in the Bible, I was like, okay God, you better have a reason for this because otherwise uh, um, we're, we're not going to have a good conversation now. Um, so I looked it up and Myrtle if you look it up in the Bible, there's a couple interesting passages that talk about the myrtle. Isaiah 55, 12 through 13 is one of those. It says this, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And so I started to get this picture that maybe this myrtle was actually kind of a a surprising sign of flourishing, that instead of the briars, instead of what looks like death or scarcity, God is doing something surprising. And Isaiah 41, 18 through 20 is kind of a similar passage. It says, um, I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water, the cedar and acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will put those in the desert and I will set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together so that people may see and know. So that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. And so what struck me about these passages is that We've talked about this already. God, God is a God of abundance, and he is a God who can literally take from nothing and make the world and speak life into, into the emptiness, right? And this same God, I think one of the most beautiful, subversive pictures of his power and creativity is that he can make something beautiful grow where we least expect it. And so when, in Sarah's story, you see this beautiful thing growing where it it makes absolutely no sense, I believe that is a picture of God's goodness um, that surprises people. And I believe that Sarah's yes to God in the midst of that is this beautiful way of her holding her hands open and saying, okay, God, I want people to see you in my story. 
a surprising abundance, an unexpected abundance that points people to God, that reminds people of who you are. You know, we talk about worshiping God and singing to him, and yet there's this powerful, powerful worship that we can give God. Maybe, and I've said this before, but maybe actually one of the most powerful ways we can worship God is in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the unknown, because it's our, our saying to God, we don't have the answers, we're not trusting in answers, we're putting our trust in you, and we're believing that there's goodness even when I can't see it. Even when I don't see it, you're working, right? We keep singing that song, and I love it. And so this myrtle, God was reminding me, this myrtle is a sign of unexpected abundance and beauty that maybe, maybe around us that maybe we don't even see. It's, and it's also an unexpected abundance that causes other people to see who God is, right? It's a sign that will endure forever. It helps people to see and know and consider and understand that, that God has done this, Right? And so I noticed, um, Sarah, you have some tattoos on you, and I'm sure you have stories behind a lot of those. And um, so one of the tattoos I have is, is actually the myrtle flower. And so I wanted to share a little bit of part of why I got that tattoo was in the middle of COVID, in the middle of kind of a, um, a difficult journey that my family and I had been on. And I got that as a reminder of who God is and a reminder that he can grow things that are very... Um, very beautiful in places that we might never expect. And I have a couple pictures actually I wanna show you really quick just to give you um, kind of another brief image of what this could look like. Um, so we have this first image, hopefully, that's beautiful, right? You've got all these flowers in a field and it's absolutely gorgeous. But I wanna look at this, this next picture now. All right, so now this is a flower and it's maybe a little hard to see, but this flower is growing out of, out of the, the crack in the sidewalk, okay? And have you ever just been walking, like maybe especially in the winter, and when it's like everything is dreary, and the trees have lost their leaves, and you, and you stumble upon something that's just like unexpected beauty, where you least expect it. And I'm going to tell you, I think that is the picture that God wants to produce. Maybe you feel like you're in this crack and, and dry place, that you're in a place where no beauty could possibly grow, and sometimes it is in those very places that God does this powerful reminder of who he is and what he's capable of and that he shows up in our lives in powerful ways. And I wanna look at one more image that might be similar. Um, we had a, a series recently actually about the desert and meeting God in those desert places and, and kind of in this journey. And that desert is another place where it just everything looks dry and, and you wonder how anything could possibly survive, let alone thrive, and then you see this, and it's this reminder. God is, God is good. He can grow fruit, he can grow flowers, he can grow beauty in places that we least expect. Just like in Sarah's story, it wasn't easy, it wasn't difficult, um, and she kept going things over and over again, right? You're, you're, you may feel right now like you're in this place of uncertainty and you just don't know um, when that's going to end. And yet we can give that to God and we can say, okay, God, I'm expecting, I'm, I'm trusting that you're going to show up for this in, for me and in this in ways I could not have asked or imagined. And it's an opportunity, I think, for us to just, as we go back through all these messages we've done in this series so far, um, allow ourselves to rest in the mindset of abundance, okay? As, as we, we wrap this up, I just want to remind us again, this doesn't mean, when we have an abundance mindset, it doesn't mean that all of our circumstances will be fixed, right? It doesn't mean that, um, um, that we will always have what we would expect or what we would want of abundance in our lives, but it's a reminder that God 
God can produce abundance. He can, he can give us that sense of abundance even in those places that feel scarce. God has designed you just like he designed Sarah with a story to share. And that's one thing I wanna, really wanna leave you all with today, okay? Um, when God gives us a story, when, God, when we choose abundance, it is not just an act of defiance, it's not, just a, it's not just a good for ourselves, but it's a way that God expands his kingdom and grows his kingdom and, and produces flourishing, right? And so I want you to, to consider the fact that maybe God has given you a story right now that doesn't look like abundance, but God wants to use your story the way that he has used Sarah's. He wants to touch someone else's life through your story. He wants you to be, be confident to share the places that you've gone and to recognize even places that you wish maybe, maybe you hadn't gone, maybe things you have that are regrets. But God says, nope, that's part of your story and I'm still gonna use it. I can still use that to impact and to reach other people. And maybe you're gonna be a person who shows up in someone's hospital room and prays with them. Or maybe you're gonna be someone who, who um, contributes to someone else's story and shows up and is in abundance in their life. Right? I want us to have eyes to look around and say, okay, it's not just about my story. God, there's all these stories all around me and God wants us to be light and hope and truth to others and to walk around and to be abundance to others. Um, and as we leave today too, I want you to, I would just encourage you, especially if this series has challenged you the way that it's challenged me. Um, uh, maybe not everyone's a tattoo person, I get that. But I would challenge you as you leave today Ask God, what, what would be a sign for me? What would be a thing that can remind me that you're good, that you have abundance for me, even when I don't see it? You know, it doesn't have to be creative. Maybe you go out and just find a rock and write abundance on it. That works. Maybe for you, um, maybe, maybe you go on a hunt this week, you and your kids are on your own, and you try to find things that look beautiful in, in a place where you wouldn't expect. Maybe you start to go on a hunt for abundance and find a picture that represents that for you. I don't know what that is, but I would challenge you um, to, to have a sign and to hold on to that and let that sign remind you that God is good even when we can't see it and to continue to hold your hands open and to trust that the same God who, who made you and is writing your story has a beautiful plan for it. God, I thank you so much for Sarah and for her story. Um, I just pray um, your blessing on her and her family and, and ask even that you would continue to use um, the highs and lows in her story to impact others, um, that you continue to open up opportunities for her to speak and reach into other people's lives. And I pray for every person here, God, that they would recognize that you've given them a story and it's powerful and that you would allow us to see your goodness and your beauty all around. Open our eyes, God, because sometimes it's hard for us to see but we want to trust you and we love you even in the uncertainty, even in the mess. We know you're writing a good story. We thank you.